Hello and welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Benjamin and this is my co-host Joey. Hey, how's it going? And today we have a special guest with us. We're joined by a close friend of the podcast, Parker Owens. Parker, welcome. Howdy. Thanks for having me. And today we're watching a movie that Parker actually suggested, uh, and that is Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. He was that friend! I hope he finds me. Because when he does, I'm going to be ready. When he does, I'm going to kill him. This is a young adult British magic fantasy series. Directed by Alfonso Cuaron. <laughs> Nailed that. <laughs> Definitely. He's a Mexican uh, director, which, as a Mexican-American, makes me proud uh, to see him uh, getting a chance yeah. like this. Uh, the cast includes Manny from Swiss Army Man, Jean-Baptiste Emmanuel Zorg, Belle, Sir Alexander Dane, and Ron Weasley. I watched this movie on YouTube. Joey, how did you watch it? I also watched... I didn't watch it on YouTube. I'm sorry. I watched it on Amazon Video. Thank you, Jeff Kisses. Jeff Bezos. And uh, Parker, how did you watch it? I also watched it on Amazon Video. Excellent. Um, so in <laughs> in our new fashion here, usually we do a cheeky little synopsis about the movie, but we actually want you to be able to remember everything that happened in this film. So Joey has written a comprehensive recap of the events of The Prisoner of Azkaban. So we'll go ahead and listen to that now. Okay. This is the third Harry Potter movie based on the third Harry Potter book written by J.K. Rowling. In this one, Harry Potter, a 13-year-old wizard, runs away from his terrible aunt and uncle after he turns one of them, one of his relatives, buoyant. He is picked up by the night bus, which is some public transportation available to wizards and witches who need a ride. After a bumpy ride, he arrives in the Leaky Cauldron, a wizard inn located in London. There, he is told about the main plot of this movie, a dangerous wizard murderer. He's a murderer who is a wizard who also murders wizards. He murdered wizards, and he is a wizard, so he's a wizard murderer who murders wizards. Whatever. You get what I'm trying to say. <laughs> a dangerous criminal named Sirius Black has escaped from wizard Alcatraz, which is called Azkaban, and he is currently at large. Harry later learns that Black's crimes include selling out his parents to wizard Hitler, who is called Voldemort. Because of this, Harry, being a very famous wizard who everyone loves, is most likely Black's next target. Because in Wizard World, when you escape from Wizard Guantanamo to enact revenge, you do that to enact revenge, not because it's torturing, you're tortured and it sucks. Anyway, Harry goes to Wizard School, which is called Hogwarts, with his two best wizard friends, Ron and Hermione. R Ron has a pet rat named Scabbers, and Hermione has a pet cat named Crookshanks. Trust me, that's important. At Wizard School, there's a new wizard teacher named Remus Lupin, who is there to teach them some new wizard tricks, including how to deal with shape-shifting closet monsters called boggarts and dark ghosts dressed in black robes that literally suck the happiness from your body, called Dementors. Also, Lupin used to know Harry's dead parents. Harry and his friends deal with school stuff like taking picture, talking pictures, uh, big feasts, nice ghosts, and a headmaster who may or may not be on LSD. The threat of Sirius Black hangs in the air all year. However, Late in the school year, they have a very bad day. Hagrid's big bird horse thing called a hippogriff is sentenced to death by beheading for attacking a student. Ron gets dragged under a big mean tree by a scary black dog, and Harry learns that Sirius Black didn't portray his parents, Ron's rat did it, and framed Sirius. So yeah, it was a bad day. Okay, I guess I should explain. Some wizards can transform into animals. This is called being an animagus. Uh, how do I say that? Animagus? Animagus? 
An Animangus, whatever. Uh, Sirius Black can take the form of a big black dog. This is how he's snuck into the Hogwarts grounds, which are very well protected. Sirius Lupin and Harry's dad were all friends at Hogwarts. They had a fourth friend named Peter Pettigrew. Pettigrew can transform into a rat and has been living as a rat in the Weasley family for the last 12 years. He also sold out Harry's parents to Voldemort, faked his death, and framed Sirius for it. Sirius got locked up in Azkaban until he escaped, desperate to clear his name and kill Pettigrew for real this time. Hold on, I got a quote for this. Enough talk, Remus. Come on, let's kill him. Wait! I did my waiting! Twelve years of it! In Azkaban! Also, Lupin is a werewolf. Everyone learns the truth and they try to take Pettigrew to the castle. However, before they can deliver him, Lupin turns into a werewolf and goes crazy. Everyone barely escapes. Sirius is laying in the, ba the bank. Sorry, Sirius is lying on the bank of a lake, dying from the wounds inflicted by his wolfy friend. Exposed, he is prime picking for the Dementors. Harry tries to fend them off and fails, only to be saved by someone on the other side of the lake. Back at the castle, Sirius is locked up and waiting his return to Azkaban. Dumbledore tells Harry, Ron, and Hermione that no one will believe a word of their story that they've uncovered, and encourages Hermione to break the law. The laws of physics and causality, that is. That's right, folks. We're going back in time. However, uh, Hermione reveals that she has a time machine, and she and Harry go back in time about three hours before the events of this very bad day start. Together, but mostly Hermione, they save Hagrid's hippogriff, distract Lupin the werewolf, and Harry steps in to save himself from the Dementors, closing the loop. They break Sirius out of his cell, and he flies away on his hippogriff. Harry gets some wisdom from a resigned uh, Lupin, now just a wizard, and everything goes back to normal. The end. Did I miss anything? Very good. No, that was fantastic. That was better than just a recap. It had all your cheeky takes on this film uh, kind of weaved in there as well. I don't know so what you're talking about. Fantastic. It was very, very straightforward. No bias whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what we're here to do, right, is express our opinions on this film. So let's get to it. We'll start with our pros and our cons. Parker, why don't you tell us what you liked about The Prisoner of Azkaban? Yeah, there's a ton to like about this film. But to me, this is the first movie where... The director went out to go make a good film instead of just, you know, a piece of fan service like the first two, in my opinion. Um, there's new characters, great actors, and it's also a self-contained plot within its own movie that uh, captures your attention from beginning to end. So also the night bus scene is awesome. So I had to throw that in there as a pro. Nice. What about you, Joey? It's a beautiful film. It's engaging, full of magic. Um, there's great acting, great story, and just incredible camera work some of the best you've ever seen what about you i i love the harry potter wizarding world like it's so magical there's not there's nothing like seeing a harry potter movie or just exploring that universe so that that for me is a pro in and of itself um i i really love uh yeah, I, I like how you said it, Parker. Like it's it's very self-contained. Like uh, you can kind of drop into this movie itself and enjoy it from front to back, just as its own thing. Um, and even though it explores a lot of like that Harry Potter wizarding world, it all still almost entirely ties back to the plot. It doesn't feel like you're really wasting your time at any point. Just like looking around at Harry Potter world, like everything has a purpose and and forward and pushes the the plot further. Um, the special effects, I think, still for the large part, look good still. Like despite this movie being from 2004, I still think the magic looks magical. And, uh, and also great musical score there by John Williams. So all great things about this movie. Let's move on to our cons. Parker, what did you not like about The Prisoner of Azkaban? 
Yeah, I think sometimes the dialogue in the movie is just a little childish and the characters start focusing on issues that don't really seem to me like, you know, they got this big issue of Sirius Black maybe coming to kill Harry and Hermione's upset that they, you know, you know, cheated on a book or a test or something. And, you know, some stuff like that just comes out. I'm kind of like, eh. But uh, also, the uh, I think the characters, this is the first time. The first two, again, this goes back to my fan service thing, which I, I, I think is a pro that it wasn't just fan service, but they do start to, like, completely change their attire in this movie compared to the others. And, you know, they're wearing normal clothes, and it just kind of loses some of that, you know, wizard magic, in my opinion. But... Yeah, I didn't actually. I kind of uh, didn't realize that, <laughs> but they were wearing like jeans and a, and a yeah. zip up <laughs> jacket the whole time. Yeah, it's, it's just out of nowhere. They like the first two movies are very, very like. Is they there try a, to stick to that traditional? Yeah, right, is there like a rule that you have to wear a robe or something? The dress code, strict dress code. Yeah, yeah and yep. a tie too. Okay, yep. interesting. <laughs> what about you, Joy? What did you not like about this movie? The question is always, how accessible is this to new audiences? You know, you're saying it's a self-contained story, but, like, there are certain things, like, do they do enough to set up the Whomping Willow? Do they explain that, you know, um, and, like, Harry's connection to Voldemort, that's never really, they don't really go into that too much, you know? It's all very much in the dialogue, so um, I don't know if that's necessary or not, but it's just something that I I feel like um, doesn't help this movie that much. The ending also gets kind of complicated, especially if you're not if you're not following the story throughout all of the books, because um, there's like multiple levels of betrayal happening here, and there's all this stuff. It's very well done, but it does get convoluted near the end. Um, it's yeah, just that, so much. That's a good so much point. Setup. The self-contained plot that I mentioned. I mean, I I do think it's self-contained, but that you bring up a good point that there is a lot of stuff like the Whomping Willow and all the other things that if you've never seen before, you're you're going to be like. What is that? Where's that from? So, yeah, and yeah, like Hogsmeade, I too. I feel like Hogsmeade, like I understood what Hogsmeade, I mean, because I've read the books. I always had an idea of what that was. But for this movie, do they do enough to explain how that worked or like what it was exactly, you know? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, and I, I don't know. I, I feel like they still do a better job than they, like you, there's the possibility to go further into fan service and further into like this is exclusively for people who've seen the first two. I, um, so I still think they do a commendable job, even as a person, as we'll explore later, I think as the least experienced Potter fan here, I think they do just enough to make it so that you could like, they do show the sign as they're coming into Hogwarts that Hogwarts is this way. Hogsmeade is that way. So you're yeah. Like, oh, it's a different place. That's near, I guess. That's true. Uh, but it took me three. I mean, I watched that part three times before I actually understood. I actually even saw that. So <laughs> yeah, I was, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of setup that's necessary for this and it does a really good job of that, but it's, it's minuscule, you know, yeah. when you really want someone to when you're really paying close attention to a movie, it makes a lot of sense. Um, but if you're just kind of watching it casually, those small snips of dialogue often get overlooked, which is why you see like major plot points often repeated in movies that are for mainstream audiences. Yes. Um, and while we were talking about the dialogue, one of my cons is that I felt like I needed closed captions for this movie. And I think that's just like classic American movie viewer problems where I'm like, wait, they're not speaking in an American accent. I, I what are they saying? <laughs> you know, but, um, I, Especially when you're talking about like people with I don't know kind of magic sounding names, it's tough to remember everybody or hear exactly what they're they're saying. So I went with closed captions on this one. That's just for me. Um, and then, how did Sirius Black escape Azkaban? They were like, it's impossible to get out. It's totally impregnable. And then he's just gone. And they're like, oh, I guess he, he just, just got he out. He just said, like, look, I recognize that rat. 
I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I don't know. Maybe th- there was a lot going on in this movie, and it was a decently long movie, so I don't have to go and explain every single thing, but I felt like that was something we should know. And then also, not enough Snape. I'm sorry, dude. This uh, huge flaw in this film. They should have way more Alan Rickman. Uh, <laughs> it's just the way that, that things fell, but I, uh, I wish that there had been more Snape. Yeah, he's not really that important to the plot. That's why I didn't include him in the recap either. Right, yeah. Um, okay, well, those are our pros and our cons. Let's get a little bit more detail to you guys in our overall section. Uh, and we're going to start off with some questions for our guest. Yes, yeah, so, Parker, you could have picked any movie to talk about. Why did you pick this movie specifically? So I picked this movie specifically because I am a big Harry Potter guy, and I think that the third movie is the best all-around film for a host of reasons. Some I've already mentioned, but it's it really is the turning point for me, and the director kind of set a tone for the rest of the movies that you you know you can watch three through eight, and they all have a similar, more dark tone in the in the films than the first two. And um, that, like I said, that that this movie started that, and it's a it's a great plot. Everything about it, good characters get introduced, and the characters finally start having a little bit of life, unlike the uh, first two films, in my hmm. opinion. Yeah, I like that answer. That's a pretty good answer. Um, <laughs> yeah. So what what about this movie uh, spoke to you personally? Yeah, so I really enjoy like the family aspect um, of this film. You, you learn a lot about the Marauders, which for those of you who don't know, is, is James, who's Harry's dad, Sirius Black, Lupin, others, Peter Pettigrew, obviously the rat in human form. Um, and, you know, you, you really start to meet Sirius and Lupin as father figures in Harry's life, which kind of carries on through the remainder of the movies. Um, and, you know, you, Harry's home life is horrible. And you see that in this movie specifically because this is the first one where he, I guess, runs away, mm-hmm. you know, for the first time where he, where he takes off and, um, you know, almost meets Sirius Black at the beginning. Spoiler. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, it's just, it makes me think about how different his life could have been had Sirius not been, you know, stuck in prison for 12 years. So, Right. This is some of the best Dursley stuff you see in the whole series. Absolutely. They're horrible. Like, I hate them. <laughs> They're so easy to hate. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well like they brought how in the, they brought in like the substitute abuser, this new yeah. family member who's just as bad to Harry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and Dudley like can't even look away from his TV for like two minutes. You know, like he's he's always like watching TV or eating then eating at the same oh, time. Oh, I love yeah. that <laughs> shot that shows like the camera kind of like moves backwards and you see that there's two TVs like right next to each other. He doesn't even have to go five steps without seeing another television. His yeah. aunt is floating away, and he's just <laughs> focused on the right. The right, he's just watching the them dance on TV. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, I agree. Like the 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 family aspect of this is is like really prevalent, and this one it does focus a lot on like people, like on the characters and how they interact with each other, way more than building up the world. Um, like they kind of did in those other ones, and then I, I recently watched the fourth one, and that one was does not feel self contained at all. Um, mm-hmm. It feels like a you know just another chapter in the story, um, and and so yeah, I, I agree. Like this one has all of that that you need. And, like it, it builds on the world you've already created while being its own thing that you can enjoy. Yep. So how much Harry Potter do you? I guess there's a question for Benjamin too. How much Harry Potter do you know? Have you seen all the other movies? Have you read all the books? Yeah, I've seen all the movies and I've read all the books up until the last book. I'm actually in it now. So oh, really? I I watched all the movies before I watched. I mean, before I started reading the books. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been a little interesting because my world's kind of shaped by the movies, and a lot of people say, you know, the books are 
you know, much better and your world gets shaped better if you watch the books first. But, um, I enjoy both. And, um, I think that the, the movies are great in their own little, you know, I think you could never read the books, watch the movies and the series is awesome. It makes sense. I think that obviously you can't fit everything from the books into the movies. And I think this, this movie in particular does a good job of getting all of the important stuff. And some of the later books, I think the movies really do pull out and don't have a lot of the, the details, but I think this one does a good job of, you know, getting what it needs to get in there without being too, you know, too yeah. overly fan service to the books. This one, uh, this book is like every book she writes is like slightly longer than the last one. And so this mm-hmm. one felt like the last movie that fully encapsulated everything from the books, like from that book. There was, of course, like details that are left out, but it was, it gets almost everything in there. Um, whereas the other ones really have to cut, like make a lot of sacrifices. Even the last movies, which are Crowded Cross 2, they still make a lot of changes from the source material. Yeah, it's a, that's something I was talking uh, talking to my girlfriend Jenny about too. Is like, what's so amazing about this series is that it actually has a, like a resounding ending. Like the ending fits the epicness that is brought to you throughout and it feels satisfying, which is so rare in like really good media, especially stuff for like movies where like they just don't know where they're going and they just kind of flop at the end and it sort of taints the rest of it. You know, mm-hmm. this like this like had a, I don't know if she thought of it when she first wrote the first one or not, but there was a clear through line that like went all the way up to it. It gave this really satisfying ending. Um, and that was, that's been such a, uh, such a powerful thing to do. And so it yeah. should not be understated, I think. Yeah. I think that I, I read that she did sort of have an idea. Um, I don't, she does admit that she didn't have every single detail figured out, which makes to me even more amazing that there's not a ton of plot holes and every movie is pretty good you know and i don't think a lot of series can can claim that you know you get to the end of the lord of the rings and you're like why didn't they just use the the birds the the (laughs) well there's all sorts of things you you could say yeah yeah but it's like but that's not the point like the the feeling you get from it and like the how how much it just kind of resolves itself into like a really like oh wow that feels good you know like i i like the way that feels and that's that's so important i think to stuff like this it doesn't matter so much about whether they could have technically done this or that you know so yeah and that's the thing too we could talk about that later with the time travel so all right so what yeah what well, did you think well hold oh, on sorry, I, I gotta i gotta i, ha- I feel like i have to confess <laughs> how much harry potter i don't know because uh growing up like i was a, i was getting into reading i was a young kid when harry potter started coming out so i was actually on it with the first four books like i was reading them as they came out i went to multiple barnes and noble midnight releases of no harry potter way, really? where i i wore a <laughs> bathrobe and carried a uh ticonderoga number 12 pencil or, or number two pencil uh you know being a, a little wizard boy and uh i the last midnight release i went to was the half-blood prince which was the last book uh that i like even attempted reading I actually didn't finish it but um i don't know i just fell off at some point uh but up until that point i loved the books love the movies i've seen the first four movies and then number seven part two so wow <laughs> And, and, and again, I know that's an egregious thing to do. The reason I did it was because uh, I've talked about this on the podcast before, too. Is like when I go visit my relatives in California, I end up like spending a little bit of time with all of them. So a lot of times they're like, hey, let's go to the movies. And when I get to relative number four or five, they're like, which one haven't you seen that's out right now? And eventually it was like, 
I guess let's see Harry Potter part two. Uh, like, <laughs> seen the first four, and I was with my cousins and stuff. They wanted to see it, so I saw it. But um, that's where I'm at. So there's a lot about Harry Potter I don't know, and I feel like the, the I've obviously fallen off with the fanhood. So there's a lot of stuff I don't remember. Um, so I'll have questions for you guys as we go through this. Yeah, I, I guess I should say I I read the books as they were coming out. Like I guess I jumped on around book three or four, and then um, it's interesting you said about that about. Parker, that you said you watched the movies before you read the books, because a lot of people, I think, around my age probably did something similar, where we read the books, then the movie started to come out, and then before the books were finished, and then the um, we would watch them as they would come out, basically, which was pretty mm-hmm. interesting, especially since she actually resolved it, right, unlike something like Game of Thrones, where you're still kind of, you're kind of like still out there, like what, what the ending really is or what George R. R. Martin's vision was for this series, um, where she actually, like, J.K. Rowling actually finished the series and then they finished it in line with that. And she was involved with the whole creative process as well. But the, um, but yeah, I, I remember, I read them, I've read them all multiple times, I think. I actually remember when the seventh one came out, my dad got it delivered like on the day that it was supposed to come out. And um, I beat him to the mailbox, basically. And I read it before he did, even though he ordered it. <laughs> it, took me, nice. it only took me a couple of days, but yeah, it was funny. So um, yeah, so yeah, this, this series has like, you know, holds up a place in my heart for sure. Okay, what do you, what do you like about this movie? Talk more about it, Parker. Give us some thoughts. Yeah, um, so I think obviously I'll keep going back to, I think you mentioned or Ben mentioned the cinematography. I mean, I think... This was the first, the first movie, there's a lot of just like still shots of, you know, two, you know, three, 10 year olds doing stuff, you know, in the first two movies. And in this one, the camera's moving a lot, which I really like. It kind of keeps your eyes just kind of like stuck to the movie the entire time. And I was reading, apparently that's a, you know, Alfonso is uh, really big about that. And he's got a bunch of reasons why he does that. But I really, really liked that. I think the way he jumps in and out of, you know, he, he, he pans a lot through glass, which is yes. something that... I watched and then, you know, read about there's a ton of those just like through glass and then it's into the scene and just the cinematography is awesome. Yeah, in my opinion. you can you can make a, a movie like Harry Potter and not be that ambitious about the cinematography because there is so much magic there. The, the plot is compelling. You don't have to go the extra mile, but um, Alfonso does go the extra mile. And there's a few that I, I try to visualize here just to remember what they were. But like the when Harry is talking to Mr. Weasley uh, and he's telling him how he's in danger, I, I they do a really long cut. And I, I think that's great because it helps the world to feel really real. There's people in the background like interacting with normal magic stuff as the camera kind of follows them they do a cool rain transition like it's the rain on the window of the train that transitions them to that scene where you see the the road sign between uh hogsmeade and hogs and hogwarts um the probably my favorite transition or like kind of camera trick in the movie was the shot where they push the boggart back into the wardrobe the when he's a dementor Mm. and then the the Mm -hmm. camera goes right at it because there's a mirror on the wardrobe it goes through the mirror and then it's back in like outside the mirror looking at the them directly from the front it's so smooth they do that they do that twice when they first introduce that scene they they pan through the mirror and at the end of that scene they pan out of the mirror um there's there's another transition I really like where um, Hedwig is flying and it starts off with like it's like gonna be winter time soon and like it's all green and everything and it pans over watching her uh, and then uh, go toward the castle and as she pan, as you pan more and more snow is appearing on the ground until you see the castle's covered in like white snow it's so cool yeah. 
It's just a, so it's so smooth, and it just looks like you know, it looks like a it's like oh, there's a little bit more snow over here. Oh, there's a little more snow over here, and suddenly you're in a world that's full of snow. It's just uh, it it's such a beautiful shot. I yeah. Yeah. It, this movie is full of great cinematography, so I agree with you, Parker. It's definitely something worth uh, analyzing and, and praising. Yeah, there's also the scenes through the clocks when they're doing the time travel stuff. Um, mm-hmm. they, they pan through the gears of the clock and then back out of it again. Oh, yeah. Um, that kind of bookends that whole sequence, doesn't it? Yes, it does. With the, There's like ticking in the background of that part, too. It's, it's pretty cool. There's also, yeah. that, um, there's also the scene near the end where they pan through... Uh, uh, Sirius's bars in his in his cage, like they actually go into the scene into his cage through the bars of the um, of the cell. Um, yeah, it's just some, some really really impressive stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And Ben, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said they didn't really have to do that. You know, I think that the plot and Harry Potter just the the universe is good enough in itself to where you don't have to do that. But when they do that, I think it takes this movie to, uh, you know, the level where I think it's the best one in the series. Yeah. And Alfonso is like, he's known for this groundbreaking cinema too. Like he did, you know that you ever see that movie children of men? Um, it's from 2006. There's also I seen it. He also did gravity. The one with George Clooney and uh, Sandra Bullock. Did you see that? Okay. Yeah. I've that, seen that, that, that like both of those movies are known for their, ambitious cinematography um and children of man is known for its extremely long takes with its like really really uh elaborate stunts um like in like interspaced without they have like all these things happening in the background all these extras moving around um doing all sorts of stuff and you see that like 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 you said earlier in that one scene um with mr weasley and and harry uh, there's like in the background, they're like pouring drinks. Uh, you know, there's all these, all these other characters are moving around doing things and they're slowly moving Harry farther and farther away from them. It's, um, yeah, it's just kind of a hallmark of, of his, of his work. Um, and he's not, he's not done a lot of movies, but all of that, the ones he's done have been really critically acclaimed. And so it's kind of interesting that he was chosen to do this and that he brought this, so this unique style to this movie, um, that like Parker said, carries over to the rest of them. So are the long takes are those are those real? I didn't like look that up, but is probably that probably not really taking like minute long, you know, two minute long takes? Is that probably not? There's some of them like the one with uh, Mr. Weasley and Harry probably are because it's relatively simple. But anytime you pan through glass or something, that's an effect. Like they're right. they're yeah. they're messing with it, and the, and the way they hide like cuts like that is. Uh, we watched Birdman. Remember, they, they yes. hide cuts in, in like the swivel of a camera, or um, if they move like through something. Anytime it's obscured or anything, they can do stuff with that. And this movie does such a good job with the CGI. Like uh, all of the CGI in this movie looks amazing. They, I'm sure there's stuff like that where they could have just made it digital, and you would yeah. just never have noticed. So, Speaking of CGI, I think that this movie is by far much better than the first two. The first two, like when they're <laughs> playing Quidditch, I mean, it just looks, you know, real yeah. sketch. And then <laughs> this one, I remember when my wife watched this movie for the first time because she's going through them, she was like, she made a comment about how stuff looked real now versus yeah. the uh, first two. So, Yeah, I mean, Buckbeak looks amazing. and He's like pure CGI. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, I, I don't see any of the edges or anything. Like normally, you would see some, you would, you would stand out, you know, but he really doesn't. So, what else you got? Yeah. So I, the other thing I mean, this kind of goes with cinematography partly, and also just the plot in general is how they focus on 
Harry, like how alone he is, you know, he, he gets, you know, he leaves the Dursleys, he's sitting on the, you know, sitting on the curb by himself. Later on, you know, Ron and Hermione get to go to Hogsmeade. He doesn't because, you know, he doesn't have permission and he begs for permission. There's just a ton of the way they do that, that in the plot, but also the camera work really paints him by himself. Like I think in that, that scene in the Leaky Cauldron that we were talking about the uh, long take with where he's talking to uh, Mr. Weasley when when he's focusing on like you know telling him not to uh, go after Sirius and it and it pans to him like the camera moves in and it's only staring at Harry and you can't see anything else and it it really just kind of puts Harry in this little like I'm by myself you know mantra the entire movie um, and I think that really fits in well with you know Sirius coming in and being his godfather and I think again it goes back to the family aspect but I think they did a good job with the plot and the uh, camera work to add that together to make him really feel like he's all alone yeah the um there's a youtuber called the nerd writer who talks about that specific thing too and he's he says like throughout the series you see harry become more and more isolated because he's the chosen one you know and so mm, he yeah. he doesn't he gets like more and more um he gets more and more isolated and and you see that too throughout i mean throughout the series everything revolves around harry right harry harry's this hero in every situation quidditch the whole conceit of Quidditch is designed so that one person can have a huge effect on the game, which is Harry, always. So, <laughs> yeah. like, everything in this series revolves around him. What I think is interesting is how he's portrayed and how Daniel Radcliffe portrays him as, like, this is a burden. This is not something that he relishes in, you know? This is something that he never asked for, and all this attention, everything he gets, is not, it's not something he wants or, or something that he enjoys. It's something that he has to deal with. And the fact that everyone's looking at him always and trying to figure out what he's thinking or what or how to protect him or what's best for him is annoying. Um, and I think that's I think it's a really unique take for this. You know, normally when you write someone who's like a Mary Sue, who's like everything goes right for them and like it's, everything's about them, it, they like take it all in stride. But Harry struggles with that so much, and he he doesn't like being that. He likes having his close knit group of friends, and he wishes he had a family, but he's like he's constantly isolated by the world around him. Yeah, I think there's a, a spot maybe in the fifth movie uh, where Harry talks about how when all the situations he's in throughout the books, he got lucky and he's like, you know, I'm not this brave, you know, perfect, you know, know how to do everything guys like the, the truth is I had help and I got lucky um, probably I think he says in every situation where he was using, you know, trying to teach defense against the dark arts and that that kind of goes with your point that he does see it as this burden he didn't ask for it he just kind of gets thrust in these situations and then has to figure it out yeah well it's a good thing he has Hermione because Hermione is the brightest witch of her age <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> saves his ass all the time <laughs> yeah um so for me like I I really think like the Harry Potter series is a very well-known and beloved series and the the movies have a ton of pressure on them to get things right and this, and like I said earlier, this movie feels like the last one to really encapsulate the mo the book that it's referencing, and it's brought to life in this really, really unique way. Uh, obviously, lots are cut out, and the film has a very quick pace, but it does take time to linger, especially with Harry and Lupin, and that gives it this weight that you normally wouldn't get. 
and I feel like this this story is especially crazy. There's so many twists and turns, and there's this extra level of history that you're dealing with. with, with it's a multi-generational story because you've got Lupin and his group of friends and, and Harry's dad, um, as well as Snape, who was a classmate with them, and they have this history, right? It's it's so funny, like, knowing all of that going into this um, because, like, Lupin and... Uh, Harry's dad and um, Pettigrew and Sirius all used to bully Sirius or sorry, Sirius Severus used to bully Snape. So when Lupin comes in to be the new uh, defense of the dark, defense of the dark arts teacher, which is a job that everyone knows Snape wants. Like, it's like, you know, so when Jake Paul, uh, like makes it really big, you know, it's like my bully <laughs> is really successful. You know, my bully got everything I wanted, basically. He has to sit right next to him at the freaking table. Like you, 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 it's not really portrayed throughout this. I don't even know if that was something that was into the text until later, but like, um, that's, uh, it's so, it's so interesting seeing that extra din- dynamic and history that goes into this. And I think that yeah. adds to the world so much. Ben, did you think that they did a good job of it? <laughs> teaching you that as you were watching this like did you know because well, I'm, I'm trying to remember in my brain i'm like i thought snape taught defense against the dark arts <laughs> but does he ever or is that ever yes. his thing okay so here's the, here's the motif and it's, it's a great it's a great little like in joke basically every defense events and dark arts teacher that teaches harry leaves after one year First, you yes. got Quirrell, who's possessed by Voldemort. Then you got Lockhart, who gets his memory erased. Then you got uh, Remus, who resigns. Next one is Mad-Eye Moody, who turns out to be not Mad-Eye Moody. Yeah. Then yeah, the yeah, fifth yeah. one is Umbridge, who gets uh, abducted by centaurs. Uh, sixth one is Snape, and then Snape leaves because he gets recruited by Voldemort again. Oh, <laughs> yep. right, right, okay. The last okay. one is Slughorn, and I don't really remember what happens to Slughorn. But I do matter. like that as like the in joke or, or you know yeah recurring gag is that the, the defense against the dark arts teacher is always on, like on his way out. Maybe this, no, <laughs> the seventh one isn't no, the seventh one isn't uh, Slughorn. The seventh one is a Death Eater, I think. Slughorn yeah, is the potions Slughorn professor. Potions. Yeah, because yep. P- Snape was potions. That's right. Right. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's how that works. Yeah, he wants to, he every like that's a rumor anyway. Is that Snape right. wants to teach defense against dark arts, but Voldemort will let him because he used to be a Death Eater. So. Yep. I think knowing that background, it just makes the movie a lot more interesting. So I was oh, just yeah. curious if they, I don't remember if they did a good, good, you know, I probably wouldn't pay attention to that because I, I know most of that. So I, I wasn't sure if they did a good job of bringing that up for the uh, casual viewer. No, I don't really think they do. They do know, they do tell you that like Sirius and uh, Lupin and Harry's dad all went to school with, with Snape, like in context, right? They like, they all know each other basically and mm-hmm. they all have a history. They, but they don't go as far as explaining who wrote the map, right? The only clue yeah. that you get is that Lupin refers to it as a map before he, uh, Harry tells him it is a map, right? I thought it was by some sort of magic company. Doesn't it say some sort of no. uh, thing? He at says the, he, at the top? probably a Zonko product. Lupin wrote that map. That's how he knows what it is. He recognizes oh. it immediately. He's Mooney. Uh, they use c- c- code names because he's, okay. uh, he's a werewolf. He's Mooney. See, there's another history of this thing that you don't that you also don't know is that the um, uh, or maybe you do but you don't remember the um, they all turned themselves into animanguses because to be in solidarity with Lupin who didn't have yep. a choice. They, oh. uh, Lupin got bit by a werewolf and he got turned and then they all felt bad for him so they learned how to turn themselves into animals so that they could be friends with him uh, when he was a werewolf basically. 
That is cool. Well, and again, like just going back to like whether or not this movie is accessible to people who are just watching it, I didn't feel like that was n- completely necessary information, but it's like added information that makes the movie that much more immersive for real fans, you know? Oh, yeah. So I feel like they kind of get both. Right, right. And, and, and like, well, yeah, you, you do get that, but like that extra level is so interesting. You know, you get that extra little bit of it. It makes you think like, what is Lupin's like qualifications for this job even? Like, is he just, you know, he's just a friend of Vault of Dumbledore's basically? And he just like shows well, up. Well, let's, let's not too, <laughs> be too critical. He did teach Harry how to do Expecto Patrona, right? So yeah, that's but he like even pretty... says, I don't pretend to be an expert, Harry. <laughs> like, <laughs> what do you mean? You're a freaking professor of the defense of the dark arts. You're supposed to know this stuff. <laughs> I mean, at this point, he's much better than the previous two, so I think we just get that. Him a that's pass, true. Right? You know, you, <laughs> you take what you can get, basically. <laughs> yep. Um, I, the story is really carried by its talented young actors. Daniel Radcliffe and Emma Watson are just amazing throughout, and Rupert Grint is is also pretty good. And I like I never doubted Radcliffe as Harry Potter. Uh, he's exactly the way I imagined him when I first read the books, and the way he acts, the way he looks, he just. He really does such a good job, and I like it's awesome seeing him, his star rise through these movies and beyond because he's doing other stuff too that's not even related to magic. So it's cool stuff. I always um, thought, yeah, like now that I'm older, because you know when these movies are coming out, I was like basically Daniel Radcliffe's, like I was his yeah, age. So yeah. you're a little kid, and you're just like, this is just Harry Potter. But now that I'm older, and I can look back on that, it's like, what an immense weight to be put on your shoulders. You're literally Harry Potter. Like that is so much what is yeah. i mean that must be insane to be daniel radcliffe i remember there was an i remember seeing an interview with him before the first movie came out like a long time ago and he said it, he thought it was a dream like he woke up in the middle of the night and he said mom like mom dad like did i get the role as harry potter like yes go to sleep like, like, just like <laughs> <laughs> I, am i harry potter now like yeah so and it's amazing that like they must have had some really good like guidance or something because none of them turned out to be super weird or like go off the deep end you know like a lot of the disney channel stars did they they all like went into their own right and started doing something they care about which is awesome so uh, i'd love to see that speaking Um, of actors i saw an interview that uh with gary oldman where he said that his um his kids found out that he was going to play uh, serious and like we're going to school telling everybody and uh, Gary Oldman admitted he he didn't really know much about like the series um, but and at the time he thought of it, thought of it as just kind of you know eh, just another role or whatever and then he turns out you know he's playing you know in one of the biggest series of all time and his kids find it you know to be cooler than he does so yeah I, I saw <laughs> something like that too where he said uh, he was just looking for a job he'd been out of work for a year or something yeah and uh, he took this job because of his kids so it's pretty cool. I thought yeah honestly though um I didn't recognize him as Gary Oldman in the uh, in the uh, mug shots mm. or the the moving mug shot. So when you saw him in person, I, I had that moment like, oh, it's Gary Oldman, uh, <laughs> which we've seen a, a good bit of Gary Oldman movies on this podcast. So it's good to see him again, especially in a role where he gets to be such a complex character. You know, yeah. where he's seen as this like villain, but then ends up being somebody we really you know want to be with Harry. I didn't like. I find a hard time. Rec- I like. I recognize him from his movements and like kind of his voice, but like he doesn't look at all like he does in other movies. I think like, he doesn't look yeah. at all like Zorg. Doesn't look at all like uh, what's his name from Leon the Professional. You know, he he's like totally. The makeup is crazy. Um, yeah, doesn't yeah. look like Commissioner Gordon. No, he yeah. does not look at all like Commissioner Gordon. <laughs> he's a freaking chameleon. It's crazy. Yeah, he's um, yeah, I, I he's he's really good at this movie too, and so is Alan Rickman and um. 
uh, David Thewlis who plays Lupin. Um, they're all like he, they're all play this these roles so perfectly, and and even like Maggie Smith and Emma Thompson and Michael Gar Garvin who plays other teachers, they do so much for this world by just being in the background, you know. Yeah. And like they're they're still here from the previous movies, they're playing very very small roles. They only have a couple of lines, but they're still building up that world in such a convincing way, and it's um it's really really cool. Yeah, I think I've, I've always said Maggie Smith, I think, does the best like that character when I read the, you know, like I said, I read the books after, but I feel like she plays Professor McGonagall just exactly like I read the books. Yeah. And to me, that was she, she, I've always thought of her as like, you know, obviously Daniel Radcliffe's awesome as Harry Potter, but um, she, she, I think, plays that part perfectly. I totally agree. She's she was so perfectly cast throughout. So it's awesome seeing that. Um, the last thing that I want to touch on a little bit is like is this theme of talent versus determination, which is kind of this like overarching theme in Harry Potter. This, I'm going to read the quote for you. You mustn't worry about how this turned out, Vernon. It's all about it's all to do with blood. Bad blood will out. And this is a quote from Aunt uh, Marge talking to Vernon and the other Dursleys about how why Harry is such a disappointment. Um, so there's this theme, and you see this with Malfoy too. He calls uh, Hermione a mudblood, right? Like, how dare you speak to me? Uh, th he think he has this hierarchy of like privilege and, and stuff, which is like there's this racism in Harry Potter world, which is very undercut, um, I think. And um, but what's interesting is like I don't think that actually jives with what's happening in this movie because the because otherwise Hermione would be the hero hero of this story, but Harry, by the nature of his birth is the most important character in this world. And he just kind of falls in, like you said earlier, Parker, he's lucky. He like, you know, he has great help along the way, um, but he's, he doesn't do anything that spectacular to make him deserve his place necessarily, besides maybe his strength of will. But even that you could say comes from his blood, right? He has some innate characteristic that makes him better or more worthy than other people, which I think is kind of a, is it's like the opposite of this of the theme that we're trying to push here right it, it shouldn't be like they say over and over again like we shouldn't be discriminatory about uh people based on the, their nature of their birth that's a theme throughout this movie however harry is the quintessential opposite like other example of that you know he is he is a pure blood right I, or almost anyway he's both of his parents were wizards um and he tries to um he does all the right things and everything, but he's like, he, there's nothing about him that's so studious or so, uh, or anything. He's just talented, basically. Even with the Patronus, right? He catches on almost immediately. It takes him only a couple of tries and suddenly he can conjure a pure Patronus. Like, this idea of like, oh, your blood doesn't determine your, your ability is something that they say, but not something they actually preach or actually do in the movie. And throughout the series, too. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. I like that. Anyway, that's what I got. What do you got, Ben? Well, I think we've covered a lot of the things I wanted to say, but one one thing I want to just kind of emphasize is I, I'm just impressed with um, how compact the plot was. I mean, even for a, a two-hour-plus-long movie, I feel like this was just so well-written. Like, almost every single thing you s see happen matters because it's setting up something later in the film. I'll give you some examples. Like, in Hagrid's class, which on its own is just a magical encounter with a mythical beast. It could have been its own scene on its own. But in that scene, we get to know that Harry can write a hippogriff. It lets us know that Buckbeak is dangerous and capable of combat and sets up Buckbeak's execution later, which is also important. So not only do you get to 
go to a class at Hogwarts and see the magic, but they're also setting up all these different threads for later. Another example is like the Quidditch game, where it's like, if you don't even care about sports, especially fictional sports, actually Quidditch <laughs> is a real game. So it, it, I play Quidditch. But if you don't care about the outcome of the game, that's fine. You get to experience something that's very, very important in the wizarding world, which is Quidditch. And also, Harry encounters Dementors in that scene, which leads to him learning how to repel Dementors, which ends up being like a pivotal part of the climactic uh, time travel sequence. So um, it what well, it's so good at being entertaining in the moment, but also setting up the future or uh, uh, the the later parts of the movie. One example of this that I think is really impressive that I liked was the di- like the use of divination class. Okay, because divination class foreshadows something horrible happening to Harry, this terrible omen that he gets. Uh, And if divination class is real enough to have a class at Hogwarts, I mean, it probably means it's something bad is going to happen to Harry. You know, you can put some trust into that and be like, okay, wow. So this is something terrible is going to happen. But all the while, Hermione casts doubt on divination, calling it a really wooly discipline. Uh, Unlike this other class she's been taking, which is ancient runes. And then right after she says that, Ron is like, wait, like you're you're mental, you know. There's you can't be taking ancient runes. It's at the same time as divination, so she'd have to be in two places at once to be able to do that, which she kind of, kind of, you know, brushes Washed off as off, yeah. an impossibility. Uh, but we find out later that's what she's been doing via time travel. And I love how this setup comes back at the end of the movie because the bad omen that divination class foretold does happen. Sirius Black ends up being captured, and and he's going to be wrongly put to death, which is horrible for our. I mean, character Harry, who received the omen because that's his godfather. He suddenly has a relative, somebody close to him in this world that he's all alone in, and having him die would be horrible. So the, the omen is true, but time travel is used to transcend the omen so that Sirius Black can escape, just like Hermione used time travel to dis, uh, to transcend divination class itself. And I, I think that, that <laughs> it, it's so perfect. It all comes around, um, and it's just, I, I really like that. It's so well-written. Oh yeah, uh, I like. I also I agree. Like my th- feelings about divination. I guess I never really like thought about it until I was watching this movie for the podcast. But like I just completely agreed with Hermione that it was just you know it was nonsense basically that like it didn't like it didn't actually do anything and that uh, uh, Professor Trelawney was a hack basically. And um, but like you're right. Like it does actually have some basis in reality. It's, it's so it's so strange because it's like. Like Hermione is so dismissive of this one specific type of magic, you know. And right. again, this comes back to like the talent thing, right? Where where Trelawney literally says to Hermione, "You have a shriveled heart. You'll never be able to understand divination." <laughs> well, I, I I look at divination is like just like horoscopes and astrology and stuff, where it's like confirmation bias. You know, yeah. we can say it's like something bad happened to Harry, so it is true. But also, they were able to avoid it by using time travel, so it didn't happen. So it's not true. You know, it's kind of this thing where you can never be certain about right. whether it's real or not, which I feel like is the feeling you get from like astrology and all this other stuff where people are like well i was having a really bad day and mercury was in gatorade so obviously <laughs> astrology is real you know so uh, I, I don't know i think that they handle that specific topic so well in this movie where it's it is still so uh, nebulous in the end where right. you're not sure if divination is real or not which is exactly how you should feel about it i think that's that, that's pretty clever i think <laughs> um 
so yeah, that that is the main thing I wanted to like uh, divulge. But I do have a few questions for you guys because you're a little bit more um, knowledgeable on Harry Potter. So one thing I want to ask is, did you feel like this movie had enough like just going to Hogwarts stuff in it? You know, just enjoy like because going to school at Hogwarts is a magical experience in and of itself totally outside of the plot and mm-hmm. because everything was so applicable to the plot i felt like we never got a chance to just like sit and do like for instance when they're eating the food that gives them the like authentic animal sounds that's awesome did you feel like this movie had enough of that stuff like they kind of like they, they do in the book yeah there's definitely less i think in terms of just like outside of class I, I think there is about the same amount of being in class i guess uh-huh. i mean they're, they're in divination they're in um Defense Against the Dark Arts, I think multiple times, even once where Snape teaches it, I think is in this movie. Yes, is that yep. right? yes Where, yes. Uh, you know, Lupin's off, you know, being a werewolf, I guess. <laughs> and uh, so I think there's definitely like that, but you're right, like the little eating the, you know, candy or whatever they're eating to make them make the animal noises, that, that kind of stuff, there is a lot less of that. Yeah, but I think it's exactly what you just said. Like they had to be so economical with this plot because they have so many things they have to hit that they actually end up doing both in a lot of situations. They show you going, yeah, they show you them going to class all the time. They're, they're, most of this, the movie is them in class doing re, like other things, right? It, it's just like, you know, the nature of the class is so, you know, foreign to us because it's so magical, basically. Right, exactly. So you kind of can get both. I mean, anything that happens in this movie is so magical. But um, I think what I'm, uh, referring to maybe as something that can only really exist in, in the book form where they have the the real estate, the the, the time to mm-hmm. be yeah. able to get deeper into the wizarding world, which is one of the you know best aspects about Harry Potter. Um, okay, another question for you guys. Did Harry face any consequences for blasting Snape into the haunted bed? Because like during that scene... It's been a while since I've seen this movie. I was like, my my man Snape, finally, he shows up at the climactic scene. He's going to get to do something epic. And then Harry Potter is like, and throws him into this bed. And he just lies there. So was there, what were the repercussions for that? Is a student allowed to do that? I definitely don't think he's allowed to do that. I don't think they ever showed any repercussions. The thing I do, that whole scene, I guess we could have brought this up in cons. That whole scene's a little different from the book in the sense that like there's like four minutes of serious you know where it really makes you think he's gonna kill harry you know and it's really over dramatized where he's definitely talking about the rat yeah and when snape comes in it's the same i've always wondered why they didn't just like hey snape here's what's going on buddy but no (laughs) harry exactly he's just like all right first thing i'm gonna throw you into this bed yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) well that's the thing is like i i was i was thinking that too it's frustrating when they don't just explain what's happening but like they like uh, Lupin does his best to do it to try to explain but Sirius is so like maniacal at this point that That's he's true, like yeah. I, I like I'm gonna kill him right now I can't wait another second you know I've done my waiting 12 years of it in Azkaban so like he's <laughs> he's ready to like in order he has to balance both of that s- stuff and yeah it does the 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 use of pronouns is very problematic in this situation <laughs> shout out to JK Rowling um because they're um they're because he's talking about two different people, or they think they're well, talking about like, two different people. I desperately want to kill him. Who do you mean by him? The guy who everyone has said you've been after this whole movie, or this rat who nobody knows is actually a, a dude? Right, right, right. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So, it, like, I think they do the best they can. There's only a few lines, you know. It, it, it really like it feels like kind of a long time, but it's really only a couple of of seconds that between like everyone coming in and more chaos happening and everything. So, yeah. I feel like it's realistic enough, and yeah, I do. It is, it is funny how much it's drawn out, though. 
And yeah. it's funny how Snape just gets yeeted into that like dusty old. Well, see, the, Dumbledore. That's another thing about Dumbledore is he will just intervene on Harry's behalf constantly. So I'm sure he, like Snape's like, well, he should be expelled for attacking me, and Dumbledore's like, no, 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 no. He's my favorite <laughs> student. Have you considered that? So, yeah, or or maybe Snape is just so embarrassed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's just not tell anyone that happened. Well, but, but in, uh, interesting anyway. foreshadowing for later movies too. Snape actually tries to protect them from Lupin. Right, he actually gets in front of Harry, Ron, and mm-hmm. Hermione, and puts his arms out because, like, as much as he seems to despise Harry, that's his own—that's the only thing he has left too, because he because right. he was in love with Lily Potter, and so he is. Um, Harry is the only like remnant of that, and uh, he wants to protect him at all costs as well. So, well, I have one last question before we move on to our Easter eggs, and this is just be like full spoilers please let me know if you know but is dumbledore somehow transcendent about time is there is there a way for him to like experience time like you know <laughs> where he knows that they're time traveling while he's doing it because um i thought it was hilarious the way that dumbledore stalls for them when they're doing the second like right, run through right, right. of the execution where he's like i think i should sign my name and then they start talking about how long his name is <laughs> and then he, and he it's like a very long that, name yeah like it, it's so clear that he's sorry for time and it's so funny because you know he's a he's this like uh grand wizard kind of like just he's all like he has so much Space wisdom and he's old and he's kind of uh I don't know, goofy at times. Yeah. So I, I thought that was really well done. But even when he was leaving the hospital wing and he sees them returning at the end of the uh, like time loop, mm-hmm. he che- says something cheeky, which indicates he knows what's going on. So no, is he there doesn't. anything else he to says, that? He says, he says, he says the opposite. I love that part because it's like, wait, did he actually understand what he was saying? He like, he, he, he opens the doors, he closes the doors, right? And then Harry and Ron or Harry and Hermione are right there. And they said, we did it. We did it. And he says, did what? Bye. <laughs> and like walks yeah. away. <laughs> okay. Okay. But he had to know something was up because he just left them in that room. Yeah. But he doesn't No, He's just, he's like, that's the thing. He's like micro dosing on LSD all the time. He doesn't really know what's going on. <laughs> he just, uh. he just goes in there. And says, like, that's what, that's my pet theory. It's like, he just goes in there, says some random nonsense, which Hermione interprets says, let's time travel. And then he walks out, <laughs> sees them there. And he's like, whatever like uh, i guess something else to worry about <laughs> okay so it's the opposite of what i think i think he's hiding his power and and what you're saying is that people are implying his power based on random things he says. <laughs> i think i think he's clearly stalling for time for that but i think he's i think we can reasonably assume that dumbledore thinks this far ahead and he has it in his head already okay hermione has a time turner i think we could probably solve several problems right now because i because i know sirius is here somewhere you know um like i I don't know how far ahead he's seeing or how much he knows that moment but i think it's reasonable to think okay i i i think if i delay here there's a chance that i can get what i want basically okay okay because what i was what i was mainly like asking is like is there is it later revealed that dumbledore is at some higher power level where he can transcend time no no the time travel is never used again in this series which is probably a good thing. Yes. <laughs> Although I, I isn't like isn't it like a rule like once you open that box you can't really close it like it, we'll talk about that later. Still have that Netflix. Okay. Yeah, well, yeah. Okay. We'll save that for later. Okay. Let's move forward into our cool Easter eggs. And Parker, what do you got for us? Okay. Yeah. So we we're talking about time travel. So this is perfect. Um, in the scene where Hermione punches Malfoy, you can actually and I've seen a clip of this. You can see 
the time travel version hand behind a wall where they were like hanging nice. out, you know, mm. her and Harry were hiding, watching it, it go down, uh, w- which is really neat. And then uh, also on the time travel front is at the very beginning in the Leaky Cauldron, which I, I think is in that very long drawn out scene um, where, you know, Mr. Weasley and Harry are talking. There's a guy reading a brief history of time by Stephen Hawking, like just hanging out, which is, you know, foreshadows the time travel later in the film, which I think is really neat. Yeah, that that guy reading the brief history of time is like a very controversial thing um, among Harry Potter fans. Because, uh, okay, here's the situation, right? First of all, he's he's like stirring the stuff with without a wand, which people say, oh wow, that means he's really powerful because he's using wandless magic. But that's not true. You see Harry use wandless magic earlier in the movie when he blew up his aunt, and he's also mm-hmm. like. There's also like scenes in the in the film where people are just using magic with their hands. Dumbledore does it when he blows up the candle. Um, there's tons of these like just random adult wizards who are using magic without wands. So that's not proof of anything. Second of all, that book <laughs> is was released in 1993, and people say that this movie came out in or not came out, but is set in 1990. So therefore, this guy is a time traveler from the future. But there's actually a lot of inconsistencies about time in this series. For example, there's a bridge that they blow up in one of the later movies that um, was created in 2000. Uh, yep. So that means that it mm-hmm. must be set early, like must be set later in time than the books are set because the books are explicitly set in like the 1990s. But they also have there's also a grave that shows uh, somebody's death and that dates the films back to the 1990s. So there's just some inconsistency with time in here um, and doesn't actually prove anything. So I think your take on this, which is just foreshadowing about time travel later in the film, is exactly the way it should be interpreted. (laughs) (laughs) Just got to get that out there. Okay, um, I. I got into a whole argument about Jenny with Jenny about this uh, next Easter egg. So I want to have your um, opinion on this. I've, I think this is one of the greatest Easter eggs I've ever found in any movie. And it was revealed to me by um, uh, Amazon Prime in their trivia section. There is a part where Harry, when Harry first meets Buckbeak, where you see Buckbeak take a shit on screen. What? What? He's, you go back to the 34 minutes in the film. You'll see it. It, It's literally right there. It's like a couple of seconds. It's a wide frame. Ron pushes Harry, and then it cuts to a wide frame of of Buckbeak, and there's poop falling out of his out of him. Okay. (laughs) Really? Yes. Okay. Why is that important, though? (laughs) So I was like, why would they include this? Why why have this in here? And uh, Jenny is telling me uh, she would like me to say that this is because they're establishing movement. They're making this thing appear more real in the story, right? He's sort of a horse. So therefore he's doing horse-like things like taking poop. It's a natural thing to show, you know, but my, my take is uh, why, like why include this at all? You don't need to have, you know, the hippogriff uh, taking a shit in the, in the story. Why, why CGI that into the movie? Well, uh, just to go even further, um, like it's a combination of a bird and a horse, two things that are really known for shitting. So like, <laughs> I feel like if you're going to be like, oh, it has wings, it flies, it's a bird slash horse, it shits. Like it's almost like you have to have it or else, you know, it, it, that's just added realism. I feel like if anything, it shouldn't be on the ground when it's shitting. It should be dropping it from way above uh. on a car. <laughs> like, that should have been more an egregious. emphasis. Somebody should be in London and they're like, oh my God, my car <laughs> has a big hippogriff shit on it. 
That's funny. <laughs> yeah, um, this is not the first time a CGI animal has ever taking, taken a poop on screen, actually. There was actually a 1999 movie called Walking with Dinosaurs uh, that was released in Britain. That's, uh, that shows this. Uh, but this is the first time it's ever been shown on a major feature film. So there you go. Huh. Groundbreaking. Groundbreaking, I think you might say. Yep. You yeah, especially if it's mouth. in the air when it does it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, my next Easter egg is uh, Alfonso Curran's uh, wife and child in the painting. So the, next to um, the fat lady, uh, there's a picture of a woman and child, woman holding a, a baby uh, just to the... Uh, just to the left of the fat lady. And that is actually uh, the director's wife and child uh, making a cameo in the movie. That's awesome. <laughs> Pretty cool. I don't know if you guys wrote it, uh, noticed, but that song that they're singing as they come into um, uh, Hogwarts for the first time, where the people are holding the toads, is actually um, a, a reference to Macbeth. <laughs> Okay, so I don't know if you could, could hear that very well, but they're singing Double Double Toil and Trouble, which is the explicitly the witch's song from Macbeth. They have a whole thing about it. I won't recite it because you basically huh. just heard the whole thing. Um, so I was like, why would they reference Macbeth in this story? Like what? And I found this this little like essay written by someone named Caitlin Ellis on a Prezi site. So I think she wrote this for her high school like a presentation or something, but it had some, had some good connections in here. So I'll reference them here. First of all, dual threats. So first the Dementors and then Sirius Black slash Voldemort, which is kind of the overarching threat in these, um, in the story. Both of those are things that are threatening Harry throughout this story. So double trouble, you might say. Oh, okay. There's also um, disguises or doubles. Uh, the whole introduction, not really introduction, but Use of Animangus uh, characters in this um, story is uh, is a big por part of the plot, um, and of course, like Pettigrew pretending to be a rat, um, Lup Lupin's uh, alternate lifestyle as a uh, werewolf, all of that kind of just shows like a double life, you might say. So again, uh, double uh, double trouble or uh, disguises, which is a theme in Macbeth as well. So. There, there's your, um, there's your connection. Also in Macbeth, this is happens at the very beginning of the, uh, of the play, and this is acts as a foreshadowing moment, which also, it also tells you that the witches are in on it. They're responsible for Macbeth's fall, at least partly. And in Harry Potter, this is also a foreshadowing because it's showing of a warning of what's coming. Um, not necessarily that the choir is in on it <laughs> or the toads. Well, sure, um, <laughs> and it's so well in, like ingrained in this film because yeah. this song is very much a part i'm sure of just witch culture in the wizarding world of harry mm. potter you know so uh it would make sense to have a chorus sing it you know it, it wouldn't be they don't have to be like well we're singing this because it's a movie you know it's it's uh it, is there is this the right use of diegetic like it, it yeah it actually it, makes it is sense. diegetic because they're actually singing it and it's not yeah it's not they're not, not doing it right they're not like some sort of um ensemble or chorus for the like as part of like the narrator to like tell yeah, yeah. the story they're just doing it because they're doing it too yeah. that's fantastic it's pretty cool 
The last thing I got, which I, I'll, I'll do real briefly, is the subtitles in this movie. Some of them are really amazing because they describe the sounds <laughs> that you hear. So some of them, such as a high-pitched whir, distorted whooshing, distorted whooshing continues, muted streaking, <laughs> uh, distant howl, distorted hum, and eerie tinkling. And I'll play you um, eerie tinkling. It's pretty cool. Eerie. <laughs> anyway, sounded love. like eerie tinkling to me. <laughs> <laughs> very, very descriptive in their noises in this movie, which I appreciated a lot. Well, I have a couple of um, a couple ones for you guys. So, uh, Sir Ian McKellen actually turned down the role of Dumbledore for this movie, having appeared as Gandalf in the Lord of the Rings. He said, "I have." I had enough trouble living up to one legend, two would be too much to hope for. He also stated that it would have been inappropriate to take Richard Harris's role, the previous Dumbledore, uh, the late Richard Harris, uh, as the late actor called McKellen a dreadful actor. Dang. Which, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I didn't know that. Well, my question for you guys is, what did you think of our new Dumbledore uh, after seeing a different Dumbledore in the first two movies? Like people keep saying, like, oh, he's so different. I don't really notice that much of a difference. It's like, I guess they kind of look a little different, but like, he's still Dumbledore in like all of his airy space cadet kind of way. Yeah. You know, he's yeah. he's I so think, like, I think he, he's so he out talks there. a little different. But I think part of that may just be again that the the three through eight movies are just very different from the first two. Right. You know, he's a little yeah. I don't know. He, he talks a little more calmly. He's a little more you know. Not as over the top, I think, in the as the first Dumbledore was, but um, again, I think that may just be more of a you know that's how the books and movies went it's, for a, for a series that changes directors and others mm-hmm. like like um crew so much throughout the series. It's um it's impressive how consistent it really is. So. Yep. Uh, yeah, I I was surprised when I read that. I was like, oh, I didn't even realize they switched Dumbledore. So uh, yeah, I I agree with you guys, uh, and then. Lastly, uh, for the Easter eggs, so I read this about the night bus. So to make the night bus appear as if it was zipping through traffic at an extremely high speed, the scenes were filmed with the bus driving at normal speed and the rest of the traffic driving at a snail's pace. And then they advanced it, so it looks like the uh, night bus is moving extremely quickly. And that was just, oh, what a cool sequence. I definitely, I think it definitely uh, earned its spot in your prose for this movie, Parker, because uh, it was just so cool like so magical huh that's really neat so does, does that mean they uh they, they squished the bus at a uh, <laughs> at a normal speed at two <laughs> exactly that's exactly what that means <laughs> uh okay um well let's move on from our easter eggs to our quotable moments and i believe you have one for us right parker but you know happiness can be found even in the darkest of times one only remembers to turn on the light. Yeah, so um, I picked this quote for a couple of reasons. One is because there's a super, super simple explanation, which is, yeah, when it's dark, turn the light on. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, number two, I mean, there, there's a few things, but I mean, there is a good theme to, yes, it, you know, find happiness in your dark times, you know, turn on the light, be positive. I think that's, you know, a little, little generic explanation. But also one of the other cool things is that later on, which I guess, Ben, you may have seen this since you've seen the last movie, but not the ones in between, <laughs> is that Dumbledore gives Ron a uh, deluminator later, I think in probably in part one. I don't remember part one or part yeah, two, yeah, which is be. basically a little device that 
you know, you open it, it captures light, and then you can, you know, you know, open it and, you know, put light. You know, he uses it in the first movie, I think Dumbledore does, uh, when he's going to uh, Harry's uh, house. Um, but I think that kind of is foreshadowing to that. Um, so I think there's a lot of things to think about in that quote. But yeah, I think my favorite is definitely turn on the light if it's dark, because <laughs> that, that, Obviously. that will make it light. Uh, yeah, well, I think the Patronus is like, and then the Dementors uh, serve mm-hmm. as the biggest theme for this, right? Where the the it's like it's, it's bright light, right? Um, and then uh, uh, the dark Dementors are darkness incarnate, essentially. Um, so and light, I dark read fight. that the Dementors were inspired by J.K. Rowling's battle with depression. So yep. is a similar thread where it's like even mm-hmm. in the darkest of times, you have to like remember to turn on the light to fight for that happiness. Yeah, I was going to bi- mention that because they, they, that's what they, they're supposed to represent is literally that depression. And so I think that this is kind of a good quote to kind of talk about how to, you know, how to deal with that. So at the very beginning, Harry turns on, it learns how to do that uh, flashlight spell too. So it's all, Oh wow. It's a very, uh, very consistent mm-hmm. theme, darkness and light. Very easy to do, I think in a lot of movies like this. So, um, why don't you hit us with our next one, uh, Parker? You sold James and Lily to Voldemort, didn't you? I didn't mean to. The Dark Lord, you have no idea the weapons he possesses. You're such a furious. What would you have done? What would you have done? I would have died! I would have died rather than betray my friends! Yeah, so um, this quote, I think, kind of encapsulates a lot of what you know had been going on in the background in the past which i think is you know i keep talking about the family aspect of this movie and the friends and you know i guess i don't know ben this may not have been well explained i guess in this movie but you know they the fidelius charm was used to conceal the uh potter's residence right and peter Pettigrew, aka the rat was um the secret keeper and he was the only one that could divulge the secret obviously he divulged it to Voldemort they thought it was serious but um you know I think when Sirius responds I would have died I would have rather died than betray my friends as we would have done for you is pretty cool that he says this because at this point he's been you know in Azkaban getting tormented for 12 years and he's still saying like hey you know Peter you were our friend you were you know you were a part of our you know our family in essence and you know we we would have done the same for you we we would have never betrayed you kind of thing and I think that's just a cool message to uh to come through at the end of the movie. Yeah, no, and even without all the like background knowledge, the way that it's portrayed, it's clear that this friendship ran deep, you know, which makes this rat's betrayal that much more <laughs> heinous because it's so clear that they, you know, this is unthinkable for their level of um, bond. Right, yep. Definitely. Okay, I got the last quote here, and this one is not that serious, but uh, uh, no pun intended. Oh, nice. But, yeah, um, nice. I just have to. I just have to play this one. So, so, oh my gosh. So there's this. There's a. There's a kid in this movie. He's he's one of the only black kids in the whole movie, and he um, only has a couple of lines. And one of those lines is this one. Dementors. He's already slipped past the months, hasn't he? Who's to say he won't do it again? That's right. Black could be anywhere. It's like trying to catch smoke. Like trying to catch smoke with your bare hands. What were they thinking? Why would you give this kid this line? You know, you could have given it to Seamus. Seamus is the plot exposition guy. He's the whole, his whole point in the movie is just to tell you what's happening around us. And now suddenly like, oh, we're going to give this, like, it's a, it's a cool line, right? It's like, oh, you know, it's like, he could be anywhere, right? He's trying, trying to catch smoke. You give it to the black kid. You make him say black could be anywhere. I saw it in the mirror this morning. <laughs> it's on me right now. Oh, boy. 
Anyway, I'm sorry. That's just a really funny. No. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I well, how do you guys feel about it, the, the general in, like uh, intersectionality? Uh, Harry Potter. Am I using the right word? Um, sure. D- yeah. Just like yeah, yeah. I mean, like it's not. I mean, it's not good. You know, it's it's not. It's not. I wouldn't say it's good or great. I mean, it, they, uh, they again. It's the it's the um, it's the difference between what they're saying versus what they're actually doing. Right. You know what I mean. They say, like, it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what this or whatever, you know. And then even, like, J.K. Rowling has said, well, you know, I always thought Hermione was black, which, like, doesn't make any sense with, like, the rest of the context of the story. She's just clearly doing that because she thinks that she can, like, she still yeah. has a hand in how the story's written. Um, so, like, it, they say, like, oh, it doesn't matter, all this stuff. But they clearly, it clearly does matter because that's why the majority of the characters in this story are white. Yeah. Um, so. Although, okay. I, and I also, yeah, I, I think I'm going to pump the brakes there because if we start going off on J.K. Rowling and, and revising <laughs> the Harry Potter world, I think we'll spiral. So I um, <laughs> just took a look at my watch. And, Joey, I believe you know what time it is. It is time for us to go a little deeper. So um, I got. I want to talk a little bit about time travel, uh, but first I want to talk about soft magic or hard magic. So Harry Potter has a soft magic system, which is to say it is explicitly not a hard magic system. The magic in the Harry Potter series has rules, it has consistency, but you as the viewer never really get a sense of its limits. Magic can basically do anything. The rules that you think you know are constantly being stretched and broken, and lots of stuff happens that's just like, uh, you know, magic. Uh, For example, how are those candles suspended in the air in the Great Hall? Does that require a lot of effort or energy? Is one suspended and then programmed not to knock into the other ones, or form so it forms some sort of emergent lighting solution? Or is it one big spell you apply to a bunch of candles at once, and it just lasts indefinitely? These questions are never answered, nor are they important, because the answer is just, you know, magic. This extends to the spells, especially the spells that Harry learns in this story. The Boggart cannot, cannot simply be expelled with a charm. You have to have the strength of will. You have to be able to conjure an alternate picture and impose that on the world. And the Dementors work exactly the same way. It's not just saying the words and flicking your wrist. You have to really mean it. And this is the this is perfect for a, a soft magic system because you cannot measure that. You just kind of have to go with it. It's a way of saying uh, it's way more about feeling than it is about cold hard fact. Magic is not a mathematical or scientific endeavor, even though it shares some of those similarities. It is about the realization of your emotions, your feelings manifested physically. Time travel in this movie and in this series is similar. It's become it's become really trite for people to complain about how the time turner breaks this universe, but that was never its intention. And I'll actually time travel is extremely I think is used extremely responsibly in this universe. And I have some examples. So first of all, only Hermione has access to it. She's clearly the most responsible person in the story. She's resolute, strong, has a lot of fortitude, very thoughtful. She can be trusted with something like this and be trusted to understand the consequences of it. Second, they mention over and over again that time travel is extremely dangerous. Awful things happen to wizards who mess with time, Harry. This shows a history of tragedies and of unintended side effects, which is convenient, but also right. Time travel is complicated. Anytime you bring time travel into a story, it becomes extremely more like dense with like what the possibilities are. It's a trope in time travel stories that people do not understand what they're getting into. They often do things to prevent something that causes that exact thing to happen. Thirdly, this is introduced early on in the series and then discarded. 
using it over and over again would become boring and it completely change the meaning and feeling of these of the series. Often, time travel is used as a last resort, something you pull out when you have run out of ideas or run into a wall. And maybe that's what happened here with, with Rowling, uh, but the fact that the story kept going and kept being successful and satisfying is a testament to overcoming that trap and not falling into a metaphysical hole. Fourth, this is soft magic, like I said. It does not have hard and fast rules. It's not bound by strict physical laws. It's about feelings. It's about emotions. Time travel stories are really stories about regret. They ask, what would I have done differently if I could do it again? Although this story doesn't really have a theme of regret, it plays with this idea to like, let's do it again, but this time right in a really fun and unique way. So again, like I feel like time travel is used very responsibly. I think it's a... Um, it's something that you can do wrong, and I think they do a good job with it here. I, I agree, and I like how, despite them doing something different in the second time, like technically, it's really the same thing happening twice. Like they still have the rocks be thrown by nobody. They still Hermione still is like, I thought I saw somebody back yeah. there, but I think she did. I think she knew that it was them, and she's like, I've been doing so much time traveling. I, it's probably me, probably doing some <laughs> other time traveling nonsense. I'm just gonna leave me be because I know that's what I'm supposed to do. Even the executioner, who by the way totally looks like an anime villain they like walk past him and he's like sharpening his comically large axe and he's like <laughs> back at it yeah, you know like he's he looks like over his eyes yeah exactly he has like the yeah he like the mysterious identity too like he definitely looks like the like like part this half of the series he's gonna be the main villain and then he even, sh but what, the reason I brought that up is because he still swings his axe and he has to decapitate something or execute something. So he executes a pumpkin and we never saw the actual, at least the audience and get to see uh, Buckbeak actually get decapitated. So uh, anyways, just to get back to what I was saying, I do like how it's like a static timeline despite them messing with time. Yes. Okay. Well, um, that is fantastic. I think uh, this is going to complete our discussion on Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. As we do at the end of all of our episodes, we're going to deliver our ratings for this film. And we'll let you go first, Parker. I give this film a uh, three out of eight um, because it's the third movie. And if you haven't seen the rest, you should totally go watch the rest. Ben. Yes. Mostly at you. Well, I actually wanted to ask, is the fourth movie a good Christmas movie? Because I, I saw ABC Family was like playing it in their 25 Days of Christmas one time. They, I, I feel like most of the movies have some like snow and some Christmas stuff in them. Okay. I wouldn't describe it as a Christmas movie, but okay, I yeah, can, all yeah. Of, all of them kind of take place over a whole year, so there's always a bit in there about Christmas. So. Mm -hmm. Okay, I can probably I can probably negotiate that into having it played at, at my parents' <laughs> house while I'm visiting. Um, okay, what about you, Joey? What's your rating? Um, I give this movie some distorted whooshing followed by eerie <laughs> tinkling as I pan through a mirror. Nice. <laughs> I give this mo uh, movie a uh, tall glass of butterbeer that I raise uh, to toast uh, this movie as being a classic, a fantastic Harry Potter film. Also, Which I've, you can only get in Hogsmeade. I, uh, well, I had butterbeer when I went to the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. Oh, uh, did you go? Did you go? Do you have a wand? Um, I don't have a wand. We actually, um, we did this. Oh, I see your wand on the webcam. Uh, oh, is it rubber? Look at the way you're making. Is that magic? <laughs> <laughs> Joey is doing the thing where you wave a. Okay, anyways. Um, but yeah, I, I think this is a good movie. And The Wizarding World of Harry Potter is really epic, too. So. Um, oh, yeah, it's really cool. Especially if you're really into Harry Potter. I'm seeing Parker with a box. You have your own wand, too? Oh, you pulled it out? You just have it behind you? 
I mean, kind of wand do you have, Parker? Oh, wow. Yeah, wait, did you guys create oh, your own, or did you get a character's wand? You get, you get like, you can pick from, like, the selection or something. Now, yeah, this is Sirius's wand, actually, which kind of goes perfectly oh. with our, oh, with our wow. episode. That's awesome. Because we just went to the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, like, a week and a half ago. Nice. No way. Yep, so. Yeah, it's really cool. It's, like, it's like the, it's probably the best park in um, Universal, for sure. Well, I'm just a muggle, so I don't have a wand, but... Uh, <laughs> you have Lame. a Ticonderoga number two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, okay, well, that's going to wrap up our discussion on Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Joey, what's next on Affable Chat? Next movie we're doing is Die Hard, the that's true right. Christmas movie. That's right. We're transitioning into our Christmas episodes, uh, so look forward to that. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And wherever you listen to us, make sure you leave us a review. It really does help us grow. You can reach us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at AffableChat on all three, or send us an email, AffableChat at gmail.com. We also have a YouTube channel. It's called AffableChat. That's right. Y'all have to do a search AffableChat. It'll pop right up. AffableChat is live on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern on Twitch. That's twitch.tv slash AffableChat. Come, come join us. Come join the chat on Tuesday nights. Parker, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. I'm really glad that you you uh, you know proposed that we talk about this movie because I, I think uh, it's been too long since I visited Harry Potter. But yeah, thanks for coming on this episode. Absolutely, thanks. And uh, that's going to do it for Affable Chat. I'm Benjamin. And I'm Joey. Thanks for listening. <laughs>